My soul gets so happy, I shout and I sing both night and day. Well, I'm on my way to heaven, and the journey gets sweeter every day. I'm on my way to heaven, and the journey gets sweeter every day. Walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus all along the way. My soul gets so happy, I shout and I sing both night and day. I'm on my way to heaven, and the journey gets sweeter every day. Well, I'm on my way to heaven, and the journey gets sweeter every day. Hey, I'm walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus all along the way. My soul gets so happy, I shout and I sing both night and day. comes down where sin used to dwell grace now abound there's healing and hope and love all around when the praises go up the glory comes down when the praises go up the glory comes down where sin used to dwell grace now abound there's healing and hope Down. 
fine this morning amen all right I guess if I can hear myself that's all I need to do is hear myself right well Karen and Stephanie you have played with an empty building before so this is not your first time I was asked two weeks ago are you going to preach to an empty building I said no sound just like my mother didn't it I said I preached an empty building the first two or three years and I don't feel like preaching the empty building when I get 80 years old. But here we are this morning. I talked to Brother Jim. He, he started last week, and he texted me Monday morning. He said, make sure you get 10 of your best ameners there, because it will sure will help a lot if you do that. And I said, uh, he said, well, after a while, you get uh, your mind kicks over, and you don't pay any attention to it. All right, we want to, if you got your Bibles at home and in here, we'll start in 1 Timothy 4, 6. Everybody's aware of the problem. This is no surprise. We've been telling you for quite some time now, there will come a time to where the churches will be empty. Now, we look at the problem, and we've been taught. Now, all these years, we've been taught, and building up to this time and this event, we've been taught every promise has a problem. After every promise, there's a problem, and every problem, there comes a provision. So there's no problem without a promise. And as I've said many, many times, you cannot fix or put your conviction on two things at the same time, so we'll either look at the promise or you look at the problem. If you look at the problem, you will attract the problem. If you look at the promise, then the promise will get more real to you, and we'll move into this stage of faith, of Abraham's faith. Now, I want us to know, and I've said many times, that today the world may not know it, but the world today is being controlled by Abraham's faith of the kingdom. Israel's in the homeland because of Abraham's faith. We're controlled today, and the events are coming about by Abraham's faith. The bride of Jesus Christ now are in the steps of faith of Abraham to complete Abraham's promise or covenant in the Gentile bride of which we are looking at those steps. So what I want to look at this morning is this is the kingdom number 11. And so I want to look at kingdom faith. Kingdom faith. We're going to look at why faith is so important. How many believes faith is important? Amen. So we're looking at uh, opening text, 1 Timothy 4, 6. It says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. We have obtained a faith. We call it a rapturing faith, but rapturing faith must be tested. We are going through a trial of faith that we call rapture and faith. So the rapture is at hand. It is a promise, but our faith will be tested. And this looks like the beginning of the steps of faith. So we want to look at how 
important is faith? So we go to Rome, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. These are nothing that we have not preached on before. There's no new subject. There's no new revelation I got this morning. I can't tell you what the economy is going to do. I can't tell you where to spend your money, what this more, because we don't know. But what we do know is that everything is being controlled by faith. It's the most important element as a believer. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, Paul tells us, and he begins to describe faith. And he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, we studied faith many, many times through the years, and we have found that the word substance and evidence has changed its meaning to us today. And if you study the Scripture, we found that the true meaning is what? Faith is the assurance of things earnestly expected, the conviction of things not seen. My question in the middle of those two words is, if you're earnestly expecting something, why would you expect something that you haven't heard of or know that exists? You can't expect something unless you know that it exists or has been promised or you have heard that it's in existence or you believe it's out there somewhere for you. So here we're seeing a revelation which is a faith that they have heard. We have heard and we have a faith today called rapture and faith, bride's faith. It is the assurance of the things that we earnestly expect, and our expectation is what? A resurrection and a body change. That's the next agenda for us. No matter what condition we have to go through to get it, we know that we have the promise of it. So we are going to see the resurrection and take a body change. How it's going to be done, I do not know exactly, but I know that God is here, and He will do it. Amen. So faith is assurance of things earnestly expected, the conviction of things not seen. And we looked at the word conviction means of certainty, a firmly held belief, or a confidence in. So you, there is something that you have the assurance of and that you have the conviction of it, but you do not yet see it. It is invisible. So Paul says faith is an assurance of things, that, of things you are expecting whereby you are certain or convinced that you will receive those things expected, but as yet have not been manifested or come into your possession. There's something that we heard about, and I put it all down to the message. I could put it down to prosperity. I could put it down to sickness. I could put it down to any promise that we have. We have an assurance. We've heard about it. Faith comes by hearing. We have an assurance that God will heal us. We believe it. We have an assurance that Jesus Christ is coming. We believe it. We have an assurance that God sent a prophet. We believe it. We have assurance of all these things that we have heard, but many of them we have not yet seen them in our possession. I can believe God's going to give me a $10 bill. I'm assured that He's going to give me the $10 bill, but I don't yet see it in my hand. Are you, <laughs> I don't like it. Are you following me? <laughs> all right. So what we're looking at, the faith of Jesus Christ <laughs> is what we're saved by of what we obtain now. And it, the faith of Jesus Christ is the assurance of things hoped for. The faith of Jesus Christ is the things hoped for and is the conviction of things not seen. For not only are we controlled by the faith of Abraham, we're also controlled by the faith of Jesus Christ 
which promised us in this hour of His appearing, His uh, glorious appearing among us, to be able to change our bodies and do what He promised us to do. So the faith of Jesus Christ is the conviction of things not seen. I've got a whole lesson that we'll look at. If, if, if it continues back, we'll drift right back into it. But in this series, we want to look at things not seen. We won't spend a lot of time in this this morning because this goes back to Abraham and his steps of faith. But keep in mind, and we'll go over this in another lesson as we said, but things not seen doesn't mean that they are spiritually invisible or in nature invisible things. Now we know there's angels, they're invisible. We know there's God, He's invisible. We know a lot of things are there, but they're invisible to us. I'm not speaking of the spiritual being unseen that way or not visible to the eye. But Paul is speaking here of basically things that are invisible, but they are actually real. You know that they exist. But the things are not yet seen in your possession. Faith is assurance of things not yet seen in your possession. For you cannot have assurance. Now watch. Faith is essential because you cannot have assurance unless you have heard the Word of God has promised you certain things. There cannot be a rapture unless you have heard and reading the Bible that God has told you that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All right, let's give a carnal example. Everybody knows that there's a car because we have seen a car. We've had cars of different kinds. But when you see a new car go by, you say, man, I really like that car. I would like to have it. I'm going to work and I'm going to be, uh, get the money. And when I get the money, I've got the assurance that I'm going to get that car. But even though you heard the car, seen the car, touched the car, the car is not in your possession. Now keep this in mind. We're talking about faith. We're talking about the message. We're talking about the promise of the absolute power promised to the sons of God in this hour right before the resurrection. I cannot believe that God sent a prophet and that prophet be full of all the graces and the power of the supernatural God, heal the sick, raise the dead, speak the world words into existence, and then leave and leave us powerless. I believe there's a body of people that God is going to create a problem that will bring us into our position because we are ordained to use this power before the resurrection. This power will be expressed to the world, but it's not for the world. It will be an expression and a witness that God's word spoke through a prophet was true and it would be manifested before we're taken off of the scene and two prophets comes to bring the message to Israel. Now, we have the assurance, but we do not have these things in our possession. Now, we've heard about the message. We've heard about rapture. We've heard about the seals. We've heard all these doctrines. But personally, now, many do not have this faith, this power in their possession. We could take another lesson in Ephesians, and it tells you to come to the statue of a perfect man, that every member must minister to the whole body. In other words, if you do a study there, it's telling you that every member of the body, and that's the ones that live in today, 
Every Holy Spirit-filled person has a ministry. Every one of us has a gift. We will be forced to use it. It's not that we do not have faith because we preach to you that you do have faith. You have the measure of faith that we are the righteous of God. We do have the measure of the faith of God for this hour. And our measure of faith is that faith that can raise the dead. Amen. But we heard about this power, and this power is not left in one individual. You say, well, Brother Gregory's going to speak today. Brother Gregory's going to preach today. Brother Gregory's going to give us an answer. I need the body of Christ with somebody with the gift of interpretation. We need something from God to tell us what's on the horizon. I believe that God can absolutely speak and tell us. Go here, go there, not by, prepare this, do exactly what we need to do. And that gift lays in somebody that comes to this church. You say, well, I've never used that gift. I don't know I have the That gift lays in you dormant, and you are ordained to use it. And it will take enough pressure that we will use it because we'll need it for the body of Christ. And that's what God is pushing us into. But we're only looking at the promise. So, but you have the assurance that we're going to have it. We are convinced, or you are convinced that you're going to have it, but you don't have it in your possession. I keep stressing that. And when we get to Abraham's part where he looked at his body and didn't have it, it will bring more to us. What? If you lost a dollar bill, watch now. If you lost a dollar bill, we said this over and over, and you know that dollar is somewhere, but it's not in your sight. You cannot see it, but you know that it exists because you once felt it, seen it, or knew that it was there. And you looked until you had the dollar in your hand. You wouldn't need faith no longer. You would possess it. We've heard about this authority. We've heard about the power. We've heard about the moving of the Holy Ghost. We've heard about men being used of God. Words of knowledge. Prophecy. We've only heard about it. But personally, we do not possess that ability or power as yet. And we have not used it as God ordained for us to use it. So, people have faith or knowledge that Jesus is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. But when, what if Jesus would absolutely come according to Scriptures, but not exactly according to the way that you have been taught? Is that somebody back there in the office? Is that somebody back there? Who? Court. Okay. All right. And he comes not according to the way that you have been taught. Now, I've got a telephone call this week from basically an assembly of God individual. And he said, well, my wife's upset and he, she wanted me to call you and asked, uh, is this the rapture? Are we going to fix the, take the mark of the beast? Uh, should we hoard up food? I mean, what should we do? I said, well, you go to church every week, Yeah. I said, what does the preacher tell you? Well, I just told my wife, no man knows the day and the hour. So I knew right then if I told him, he wouldn't listen. I said, well, just pray and just trust God and you'll be all right. Just tell, tell her everything will be all right. So that's, but see, even in the message, call me. Well, Brother Greek, what's going on? What's going on? We've been teaching us for 40 years that this event is going to come. We have told us over and over, and every preacher has preached uh, persecution, tribulation. They preach the, I preach the day the dollar dies, the destruction of America, all those sermons. And now we're arriving at the time that it didn't come in like we thought it would, but it's coming in step by step, 
and we're not caught unaware, unaware. We have fully been prepared, and we are prepared and ready for this event because that faith is deposited in us now. We have said over and over, and I've preached many times on faith in the mind, and we may even touch it again, but the importance of our mind and confession is one of the most important things in this life is to let, get, let your mind or get your mind under the control of God because your actions come out of your mind and you cannot rely on your emotions. I wondered how many preachers would basically start reading quotes on persecution. How many would read quotes on the, the tribulation? How many would read quotes on the punishments of God? We understand that that punishment, the tribulation, is not for us. The bride will not go through the persecution. The bride will not go through the tribulation. The vows, the plagues, they are not for the bride. God has sent us a message of faith for the bride and has fully clothed us to be able to take this battle or to go over this hurdle. Now, now with that said, how good do you think we look at the men of the Bible? I've, I listened to different brothers preach and what their subject was on after this. I think Brother Donnie Reagan preached on maybe uh, the conditions of uh, the rapture. He used that text and then began to preach on uh, David and how uh, things about David. That's fine. Never mentioned the rapture as far as I was concerned. And I began to preach this. What more? It's, it's basically uh, some kind of Baptist theology out there of, of hope and grandeur and, and whatever more. It's like we're whistling through the dark. We're not whistling through the dark. We're facing an enemy. This, how many knows this virus is fulfilling the revelation? I started to go there, preached the sermon years ago, run to the battle. 200,000 thousand demons with teeth like lions and hair like women. Brother Bram said they are spiritual demons, powers. They are diseases, devils, sicknesses. All these things have been released in this hour. And this will not be the last pandemic. This will not be the last wave. Don't be surprised if we don't have a, another wave coming out of China after this wave. And after this wave, because there is a war going on between good and evil. There's a war going on between liberalism, democracy, and whatever more. But America, this beast must rise up and take control like the dragon. It is going to happen. Now, how good do you think Daniel and the three Hebrew children felt? When they got cast in the lion's den or thrown in the fiery furnace. The Pentecostals are saying, whoopee, glory to God. We've got trouble coming. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't think they hollered hallelujah and jumped around and had a Jericho march when they went to this problem. I think they're more or less, more or less like us. Just as stressed, just as sober-minded, just as concerned as we are today over our problems. And there are as many, like this woman said, well, she can't sleep. What more? Tossed to and fro on her pillows. If the mind is not under control, and that control must be a faith or a revelation that you understand, our actions will be erratic because you can only do what your mind indicates. The mind is a tricky thing. That's the reason why a preacher preaches. He'll tell you a story, hopefully to make you laugh. He'll tell something to make you mad. He'll tell something that really hurts your feelings. But each time he does that, he's making an impression upon the mind. And the mind is geared to where it will not retain except that which makes an impression. 
Most of the time, it's the negative impression that really holds. Well, he said so-and-so, and I don't like that. Or he told a funny joke. That's all they get out of a sermon, so all the rest of it we can, we can skip in theory. So the most important subject as far as we're concerned, as far as the Bible is concerned that I'll look at, the most important subject is faith. So let's look at this. Uh, we're in the kingdom study. So let's look at this kingdom faith or let's put it this way, faith in the kingdom. Is there a difference between kingdom faith or faith in the kingdom? Well, I'll have to say this. You have to have faith in the kingdom to have kingdom faith. Because if we don't get into the kingdom, you won't have kingdom faith. And if you don't have a revelation of the kingdom, you won't get there. So we're looking at a kingdom faith. And there we had to go back to Abraham because Abraham had the faith and the covenant to place us in the millennium all the way to New Jerusalem. And that's the faith that we're looking at that's controlling us. And we'll take a lesson on faith that's controlling us now. So how will our faith affect us in the millennium? Let's just jump the problem. Let's just jump over into the millennium. How will our faith affect us in the millennium? Think about it. Well, most people say, well, praise God, I'll be glad the rapture takes place because I don't like to work anyway. A lot of people's enjoying this. Matter of fact, the first two weeks was wonderful. It's like a vacation. About a, uh, 10 days, my mind cleared up, and I felt like I'd been on vacation. Then all of a sudden, I thought, well, I got to go back to ministry, and I felt like I was under hard labor again, the stress of it. But most people love being laid off until there's nothing left in the store, nothing left here, nothing left there. Then they're going to cry, oh, hallelujah, where's the food or whatever more? So everybody wants to go to heaven because if you go to heaven, you don't have to worry about what you eat. You don't worry about the job. You don't have to worry about being sick. We've got a glorified body. So we've got a king that's a head over everything. We've got somebody taking responsibility. Maybe the disciples will be in charge. In other words, the millennium to us means I am free from responsibility. I don't have to work. Uh, I'm just on vacation. Glory to God. This is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. What you're looking at is that you're convinced that if you get over there, and Jesus is the king, Jesus is the head, Jesus is in control, then I will be blessed and I will be protected and I will be provided for. Amen. The message of this hour has promised us what? The message of the hour is God is here. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is everything that there is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our banner. He's our shield. He's our comforter. He's our healer. He's our provider. He's our peace. He is everything that we can think of. God is here fully surrounding us with every ounce of His character and His power. The message is God is here and He has taken headship over his body now. That's what we're already preached. God has taken the headship of his body. If God is the head of the body, then I would think that the body wouldn't have any reason to worry about where they're going, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, worry about any enemy that's going to attack them. I think that if you leave the headship over to Christ, the Word, 
it would put us under the complete shield of blessing and power of the Holy Spirit that is here with us now. So what we're seeing, we want to see and understand that kingdom faith is the very same faith that every born-again believer has deposited within them at this very minute. You mean to tell me, Brother Gregory, that I have kingdom faith? I have the authority. I have the power. I have everything that I'm going to have in a glorified body. You mean I have it now in a body that has given me problems? Amen. Now, why is faith so important to God? Why is faith so important to God? Not reason number one, if you go to uh, Hebrews 11 and 6, it says what? God is not pleased with anybody without faith. It says what? But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. If we ask, any, ask what, anybody what you think is the most important thing as being a believer, now in the message you would get a lot of answers. But there may be many and say, well, we need to obey God. That's the most important Many say, well, you got to believe the prophet. Take every word that the prophet said. That's what it is. Others tell me, well, it's the conduct. If you don't have good conduct, then you're not sanctified. If you're not sanctified, you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. Some says it's worship. If you must worship Him in spirit and truth, well, that's what God's looking for. Knowing the Word, that's the most important. you got to know the Word. If you know the Word, you mean like Jesus, you can stand the devil because you can say it is written. That's the most important. But if you put all the things together that anybody can preach to say that you must do, it comes down to the answer of pleasing God. Every born-again believer wants to please God. There's something in you that wants to please Him. There's the battle. Am I pleasing God? Am I doing right or am I doing wrong? Am I pleasing God or am I not pleasing God? That's that constant flow within us that every one of us struggles with. Are we pleasing God? So being accepted by God, being blessed by God, for that is the thing that the heart of every believer entertains, and it's God's desire is to be pleased. God wants to be pleased, or He wouldn't even be God. God is an object of worship. God wants to be the center of your attention. He wants to be supreme in your mind, your life, your attention, everything. He wants to be God. Amen. That's the reason why He created them to worship Him, is to be God. So God wants to be pleased. God wants to uh, be uh, accepted. And if we're not walking in faith, the Bible said, or Paul tells us, if you're not walking in faith, we are not pleasing God. Now, that could get really mind-boggling if we look at the negative side of it, but let's look at it. So without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But if you'll notice part B there, for he that cometh to God, now if you come to God, you usually come to God for something. Most of us come because we're going to ask Him for something. But even if you come to God to worship, if you come to God to uh, fellowship, if you come to God just to talk to God, or if you come to petition God, or if you come for intercession with somebody else to God, you must believe that He is. Why would you go to something that you don't believe that is? See, who, why are you talking to an invisible heir, talking out here in the wind, when we know now that God that you're talking to out here is really not out here, that God is deposited and living on the throne of your heart. 
It's like the other night, I didn't know whether I was in a dream, out of a dream, whether I was awake or asleep, whatever more. But I was laying there, and I was talking to God, not verbally in my mind. And in my mind, I, God was answering like a communication. I'd talk, and He would answer. I would talk, and He would answer. Almost like the same voice, two voices, talking and carrying on a conversation. And I was laying there, subconscious, listening to the conversation, carrying back and forth. Now, I've never experienced that before. But I understood that that same process that you're in is what the prophet spoke of. God spoke to me. I talked to God and God spoke back to me. We don't understand that because we have never experienced it in that form. But in this light, I could hear God talk to me and I could talk to God. I could hear God talk back. He talked just like carrying on a conversation with God. I think that's where we should be in our walk every day. We should come to the place and we will that we can talk to God and God will speak back to our inner ear with a voice that you will believe and accept. And he will instruct us what to do and what to say. Now, so he said, for he that come to God must believe that he is. Now, many believe that there is a God. The same as the God of live stream today, they believe there's a God. Every religion believes that there's a God, the supreme being or whatever more. But how many believe that he is God the Word? Very few people believe that this Bible is God and have faith that what God said in this Bible, every word in here is absolutely true, absolutely spoken by God, and God will keep His Word because it's impossible for God to lie, and it's impossible for God's Word to fail. He sent His Word to heal us, which means salvation or anything else that we must have of. Now, most believe there is a God or a higher power, and that... Now, this is the hard part. Now, this is what we want to get for just a little while this morning, and we've been over it time and time, but just to put us in remembrance that we need revelation on, and that is He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It means search out, crave, desire, or demand of Him. Now, the thought is that God wants a people to please Him, and they cannot please Him without faith. Would you agree with that? Therefore, to what end is faith necessary? Well, you said if God is not pleased with it without faith, and it takes faith to please God, then if I'm not exercising faith, I must not be pleasing God. So what end is this faith necessary or required of us? See, because we cannot please Him without the faith. Now, so therefore, the end of our faith is that God may reward the one that believes that He is. He can reward you or do something for you. In other words, it is not going to God, believing, begging, and praying for God to do something like you're trying to persuade God to move on your behalf. That's what we've been taught. Well, let's come down to the altar and pray louder. Let's, let's fast. Let's, let's pray. Pray sincere. Let's pray deeply. Let's pray. Let's do this. What more? And most of the time we're praying in vain or we're praying for something that's standing right beside of us that we already possess. We're asking God to do something for us that He's already done. You say, oh, God, I'm sick. I'm sick. Well, He's already provided healing. I'm broke. I'm broke. He said, I'll provide. I'm your provider. I'm your protector. I am everything that you need of. All you have to do is have faith that I am and to receive it into your possession. Well, if God wants me, what do I say? Now, 
I've had person, well, if God wants me to have a car, He could just give me one. Well, God could just give you anything that He wanted to give you. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He could just give you a cow. But what if God gave you a cow? Well, you said, I'm hungry. I want God to give me a cow. Well, what if He just gave you a cow? You'd say, well, I need it skint. I need it cut up. I need a mash, a lot of fire. I need someone to cook it for me. Oh, that's too done. That's not done enough. You go on and on and on until somebody's poking it down your throat and you're saying, that's not tasting right. In other words, <laughs> there's a part of that faith that we have to do knowing that God wants to provide for us, but He requires our faith that He is willing and desiring to do it. Amen. Got three amens out there. Watch now. Well, if God wants me to have a car, He just give me one. That's true. But He placed a condition on reward. You say, well, I'm predestinated to go into rapture. I had a brother the other day. I think he was a little loopy. You know what I mean? Well, I'm predestinated to go to the rapture. I said, that's good. Well, I'm a predestinated city God. That's good. Well, I don't have to go to church. I said, that's bad. Well, I don't have to pray. Oh, that's bad. See, predestination doesn't get you out of the condition. Predestination t- tells me that there's something in me predestinated that will ask, that will believe, that will move the chess player here do my part that, God, that I know when I move here, I know God will move here. That's the reason we preach uh, water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God asks you to move first. First, you've got to believe that He is. Then you've got to have an open confession among the people. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm going to this water as a witness before all you people that I believe Jesus died and God raised Him from the dead. I believe that. I'm going here identifying that I do believe the death, burial, and resurrection in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know and I am expecting that as soon as I come out of the water and do my part, that God will do His part and fill me with the Holy Ghost, which is a faith to believe the word of this hour. Now watch. So, the condition is faith. He wants to bless you, but He wants you to believe that it is His desire to make Himself, your soul provider and protector. This is what Abraham's struggle had to go through. He had to come to this part. He is our God. He is our head. He is our bridegroom. We are the most beloved people on the face of the earth. He wants to be the center of His greatness, His power, His glory. For we are the reflection of His nature and character. The bride of Jesus Christ is the center of God's power, adoration, attention, respect, everything else. We're not out here on the peripheral. Like I said, that God put it all in one man, and he's gone. And we get the, uh, what do you call it, that, at the fair you get this uh, air bubble, this stuff out here, that blow, uh, air balloons, or what do they call that food to eat? Cotton candy. Whirl around, whirl around. You, you, did, you just get the fringe benefits, and all of a sudden, you get enough just evaporation in your mouth. I think we need more than cotton candy. See, I'm getting old. My mind's just, oh, God, devil, you're a liar. I'm getting, we need more than cotton candy. We need a little steak that we can chew on. Even with our dentures out, we need something to chew on. Amen.
So God wants you to have faith, which is the assurance in Him, because God wants to do something for us. I believe that God is here. I preach it now for almost 35 years. That God is here, and that He is here wanting to do something for me. And I understand by Scripture that He wants to get me out of this atmosphere and put me into another atmosphere. I'm in God's way, so to speak, for Him to fulfill His covenant to Israel. Amen. God is creating a condition to go back to Israel. Do you believe that? Therefore, the faith of Abraham is pushing you and I. It's pushing God to have to create a problem. Only a squeeze is going to bring us to this age. Now, what is a squeeze? I do not know, but it will be a squeeze enough, economy, whatever more, that is going to push us spiritually, internally, until the ministry or the gift of God, that soul comes out into manifestation. Now, watch. So, we've been taught. The nation today is placing their assurance on the science profession. I believe that it is a mistake. But... Our president wanted to be president for another term. And he knew if he didn't do something because of science, if he's not believing science, then he's, he's an idiot. And science tells him, which is only liberal, Democrat, whatever more socialist anyhow, tells him they want to shut this thing down and it's only their way of using this to get rid of Trump. All, they, all this is about is a virus, a controlled crisis to remove the president so that devil power can come in and take over and the people are already submitting to it by fear. The cure is worse than the problem. You say, well, we don't want to lose any lives. I kind of uh, done a little Google research. There's 580-something thousand people in America alone that dies every year of cancer. There's only 600, almost 600,000 people every year that dies of sugar diabetes. Another five, half a million die of heart attack. All right, there's a million and a half people, and nobody stopped the government, stopped the world because of a million and a half people dying. There's more people that died in Chicago in the last six months by shooting them down the street than has died in this whole crisis. So this is not the problem. This is setting up for a problem. And then we will we, we'll be pressed. The reason why we'll have church is because this is something out there they call the medical. This is not the government telling me uh, so-and-so. You can't preach because of so-and-so. But that will come. That's the second layer of this. Because remember, there's a threefold prong in this whole thing. There's an economical. There's a political. And then there's a spiritual. When Pilate and Herod got together, political economical, when they got together, and this is what this is all about, to put all this money in, to bring the Catholic Church in, get the politics and the economy under their control. When they both got together, the next move was, and you already see it on the news, we need to close down all the churches. Remember, the prophet of God said that he would stop the preaching before the rapture come, and this is a method of doing it. Watch now. So God wants to be our protector and our provider. God wants to, us to trust Him, depend upon Him to fight our battles. Amen? We cannot fight our battles. 
I heard somebody say, well, the economy's down. I'm going to go buy me another AK-57 or 47 or 15 or whatever they are. I'm going to buy me another shotgun. I'm going to buy me another case of shells. You can take all the guns you got, and you can't shoot this virus. Because why? It's an enemy that's unseen. We're fighting an unseen war. We've been fighting this unseen war spiritually now for ever since the prophet left. Slowly, slowly, slowly the waters got hotter, hotter, and hotter, and we haven't jumped out of the pot yet. So why do you think God actually took on the names of Jehovah, our healer? Why did he take on the name of our banner, our righteousness, our peace, our salvation? Why did God take on the title of Jehovah? Because he wants to provide everything for his family. God is responsible for the welfare of the kingdom or the household of God. Now, for God has no purpose of being. We said many times, God created something to worship him or he had no purpose. He was not God until he had something to worship him as God. So God has no purpose of being. Without or unless he is recognized and accepted as being our all and in all. The point is, if he is here to raise the dead and change our bodies, then he is not pleased if we won't let him do that for us. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The faith of Jesus Christ is letting God fight our battles. The spiritual battle of Armageddon is on the horizon. We will not go through the tribulation. We will not have to fight that battle. God will fight that battle through two prophets in Israel. The church that's left, it's going to be horrible. We could zero in that and try to scare people in church or out of church, either one, but it does no good. I am totally convinced and I am assured. That every member of the bride of Jesus Christ has been gathered by the message. We are sealed in the body of Christ. We have the token over our lives and our home. We have the promise of a body change. The presence is here to do it. And our faith has the assurance that God will keep his word. Now watch. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and look at this a little bit. I don't know how long my, well, we started. About 10, I'll be through just in a few minutes. I thought, man, I won't be able to speak 30 minutes with that. This, and then I'm already got 30 in, so I'm doing good. Amen. Look at, look at this, just a few minutes now. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to, to 17. If you've got your Bibles out there at home, you need to turn to that scripture. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you look that word wiles up, it means method. Method stands against the methods. What more? The wiles actually method means stand against the methods of the devil. In other words, uh, stand against the methods of the devil. And how many knows what the methods of the devil is? Gets you to what? Lose faith in the word of God. If I could put it this way, we're going to look at the whole armor, and I won't take too long on it. But if you notice this armor, we're going to look at. There's only two pieces in there that is not strapped to your body. That can't come off when you run. That's the shield, which you're holding on to it with your hand, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which you're holding in your hand. These are the only two things that's not strapped to you. 
You can lay them down at any time. If you lay faith down, the sword ain't going to do you no good. If you lay the sword down, your face shield is not going to do you any good. You can lay them down at any time, and there's the test. Will you lay your shield down, or will you take the word out of your mouth? The sword of the Spirit. Watch now. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We know that. Our warfare is spiritual. This is an unseen enemy. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the socialists, against the communists, against the democrats, against the liberals, against this and against that. There are powers in high places, spiritual wickedness in high places. There's your ecclesiastical powers in every religious system that we got. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and we have arrived. I believe that we have on us the whole armor of God, and we had time we could go through each piece. Watch. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And that's what we're doing today. Stand. Having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all. Everybody say above all. Above all. Watch now. Taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So God gives us a picture here of the equipment for our protection, both offensive and defensive, in our warfare, which is not against flesh and blood. For 2 Corinthians, Paul tells that church, For we walk not in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's where the mind comes in, mind and faith. Having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. So now, why would you put on your armor if there was no enemy to fight? See, we've been, been, been gathered by a shout. We've been trained by the voice. Going through training. Now that the trumpet is sounding for war. Gathering, training, war. Training, lessons, principles, faith. Putting on the whole armor. We are the righteousness of God. We are justified by faith. Over and over these principles of authority and faith. So what... But we have no enemy. Why has the church got lackadaisy in the last 25 years? Because there's no really no enemy. We can look out there and we see sin abounding on every hand. We can see basically the church going to pot, so to speak, if you want to put it that way. We can see every principle, every ounce of faith leave the Pentecostal ranks. We're letting things go on. We see it in our church. Marriage and divorces and all this thing goes on. We just keep rolling on, rolling on. No, don't bother me. Don't bother me. It's, it's uh, saturated. God is not, dis, is not pleased with the bride's faith. Watch now. Who would prepare for battle if the enemy is invisible? 
See, everybody's looking for the Russian troops to hit California so they can use their AK-47s. Never seen anybody wants to shoot somebody in all my life so quick. Oh, I'm going to shoot. I'm going to do. See, if we had, if an army attacked, if we had an army and we knew there was troops hitting our shore, every one of us would pack up a rifle, prepare our home to protect our family. Every one of us would go out to run to the battle. But since we got a spiritual battle and we see no physical enemy out here or element, we still seem to be a little passive. We, we, we are not desperate yet. And I agree that you can't get desperate until it, God touches your flesh some way in your family. Uh, the depression is not on until it hits your house, whatever more. But the bride now must come to a corporate revelation and a corporate faith that we all must get out of here for this thing to continue. So who would repair the battle for an indivisible union? All the guns in the world will not help us. So what kind of weapon would a person need to fight an invisible enemy? And furthermore, if you, you had a weapon to fight an invisible foe, how would you know when to use it? Do we use it now or we, we get somebody gets sick with a fever? See, when do we use our weapon? Do you take your sword and swing it at what? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm by your stripes, I'm here. I've got a problem. I'm surrounded by See, what, what are you swinging at? We find in all the armor, there's no protection for the back. We've said that many times. So you can't run from it. But if the enemy is invisible, how do you know if you're hitting him front on or you're turning your back? See, we're confronted with an invisible enemy. Therefore, our faith must be essential or in effect. Since it is not flesh and blood, we would have to and we do have to let God fight this battle. Amen. Since we don't fight against flesh and blood, verse 12 tells us, then why do we waste our time with shotguns and AKs? But for we need a special weapon to fight with that is not flesh and blood. We are fighting powers. We are fighting viruses, demons. Now you want Mark 16, you got an opportunity to use it. These signs shall follow those that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. In other words, by the name of Jesus, you can cast out devils. But how many knows it's your faith in the name Jesus that does it? It's your faith in the name of Jesus that does it. How many people has faith in the name of Jesus? That that name, Jesus, is God. That God is in His name. God is the authority. And your faith in the name is what makes it work. I've seen time and tapping it, prayer line. In the name of Jesus, they go out sick, they come in, and they go out sick. See, they're just using a, a phrase, a repetition. We have heard we've got to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus. It's not in praying in Jesus, it's your faith in the name of Jesus. We exercise our faith. Nothing in this Bible, and I'll, I'll close, nothing in this Bible is worth any more than the Koran without faith in it. This Bible can do nothing more for you without faith in this Bible. This Bible is no more powerful than the Koran. It's your faith in the Word of God that does it. So what we're looking at, we're looking at this indivisible force, picking up this. But above all, he said, and I want to get to this. Above all, verse 16 is what we're looking at. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the The important part of this armor 
the most important part is the shield of faith because it says above all. If he's telling me above all, he's telling me something that's superior. Or if you want to put it in the retrospect, what I'm looking at. Now, I looked at this morning, I think of this sermon. And I spent more time on this 30-minute sermon than I spent on a, le- on a series. How do I get dressed? Well, I took a bath. I put on the underclothes like what more. And then I put my, what? I put my pants on. Then I what, uh, shaved. And then I put my shirt on. Then I put my shoes on. Then I put my tie on. Then I went, uh, went in, and above all of that, that's your whole armor. Now, above all of that, you put a top coat on. That's what he's talking about. In other words, all of your armor will not work. You say, well, I'm going to take the righteousness of God, because if you're righteous of God, what else are you? Well, I'm going to take the Word in my mouth, because this most powerful thing, Jesus is overcome by the Word. I can take each part and show you how important it is. But if you don't exercise faith, Above all these things, they will not work without faith. Amen. So we're looking at the importance of faith, and the understanding is this. God wants us to exercise faith that He is here to help us, to protect us, provide for us, and He will bring His reward with Him because He brought our theophanies here now. We are going to take a resurrection and a rapture. Why? Because faith says so. That is what we're looking at as far as this faith. And we'll continue to look at it if the Lord permits. And maybe we can have a little congregation here next week or something week after. And we're going to do a little better. So let's have a word of prayer before we dismiss. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for those that are tuning in by way of live streaming, sitting in their homes, listening. And we pray that something has been said. Maybe just uh, you'll have to take the words because they were jumbled up and not a flow as we are normally used to. But we know it's your word. We know it's true. We have exercised these principles of faith. We've taught them over many, many times. But, Lord, you have put us in remembrance of these things because you're not pleased with us without exercising our faith. Because you said it's impossible to please you without faith. So help us to understand that we are being controlled by faith. That we are being led by faith. We must walk by faith. And we have a revelation in this hour that you are here. That you are our protector and our provider. That we can come boldly before your presence and speak boldly to you. Because we know now that it's not us screaming or hollering or begging. Or or you're not willing to give us those things that we have need of or need. But you are willing more abundantly to give us more than we can even think of or behold. So, Father, we pray that our minds will not look at that provisions because you will provide. May we not look at our body and the weakness of our flesh because you are a God that heals. So all the provision that we need, all our protection, because if you are our protector and our provider, there's nothing else we need outside of your presence to enforce your word. But we understand that you are uh, an intercessor upon our confession. And we know by the Word of God that you only make intercession upon our confession of faith. Therefore, if we speak and put the Word of God in our mouth, that you are here and you are present, you are a protector and our provider, you will make intercession upon that confession and manifest it in our lives. We thank you for your graces. We thank you for power. We thank you for provision. We thank you for health. We thank you for every soul out there today that listened. 
And we pray that you will speak to them in their own personal way. Speak to every heart and every need. But help us, O Lord, to fear not because you are with us and you are the conqueror and you are our Lord God. So help us now as we go forth to control our minds to your word. And may your presence live with each one. And we'll thank you for it. And as soon as we'll gather together as a body, we'll worship you in spirit and the truth. And we give you praise for all things. And everybody said, Amen. We'll meet you next week. God bless you. Hope you listen in. We'll continue this series of faith next week. God bless you. Amen.